Bo Bichette swings at the first pitch, hits it to deep right. Mancini going back to the track, to the wall. It's gone. Bo Bichette hits an opposite field home run that just carried and carried and carried and hits off that shelf over the right field wall. It's his second home run of the week, the second home run of his major league career. Here's a swing and a bounding ball towards the middle of the diamond, out of the reach of the second baseman, VR, and it rolls into center field. Bichette is hustling for second, and he takes the unoccupied base. And congratulations to Bo Bichette. He has matched the franchise record with eight hits in his first four Major League games. What he's doing is history, so of course I've never seen it, but I expect him to be happy. But the energy, he has it anyways. That's how he plays, and, and that's how all these kids play. So it's, it's going to be fun, you know. 1-1. Swinging a shot to the gap in right center field. On the move, Santander gets to the wall, and that ball will bang off the fence in right center field. And Bo Bichette cruises into second with an opposite field shot. And how about this for Bo Bichette? He now owns the Blue Jays' franchise record for hits in the first five games of his major league career. It's cool. Yeah, I mean, anytime you can, you know, set records, it's a cool feeling. So, um, you know, I'm excited with how I played, and, and hopefully I continue to play well, and hopefully continue to break more records. Another 0-2 to Bo is jacked to left field. That's going to drop and take a couple of hops and hit the wall. And it is another double for Bo Bichette as he pulls into second base to extend his major league record. Bo Bichette with his eighth double, and it is his eighth straight game with a double. Vermont ready the 0-1. Swing it on drive. You can forget it. Welcome to Rogers Center, Bo Bichette. The guy just set a major league record, 10 extra base hits in his first nine games. Great hair, great personality. Like I think people are going to fall in love with this guy. I really do. In a different way than they fell in love or fall in love with Vladdy. I mean, this guy's got you know energy and he's got some grit to him. And he's going to be a great player. Some facts, Ben. Some statistics that I'm just going to run by you on one young Bo Bichette. With doubles in nine consecutive games, he has the longest double streak in MLB history. He also has an MLB record with 13 extra base hits in his first 11 career games. He's the first rookie with an extra base hit in nine straight games since someone I've never heard of called Ted Williams. Some guy, I don't know, probably an average dude. Back in 1939, Teddy did that. And Bo Bichette has set Blue Jays franchise records with 20 hits in his first 11 career games, an 11-game hit streak to begin his career, and a 13-16 OPS over his first 11 games. Pretty crazy. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And hard to imagine that his debut could have gone any better from an offensive standpoint. And it's been fun to watch Bichette because we knew that the potential was there, but seeing it at this level is a lot of fun to watch. And even if he wasn't putting up these numbers, I would still greatly enjoy seeing him take like monstrous cuts at the first pitch that he sees and like nearly toppling over and falling. Like all the things I've seen him do in the minors for a while, but now he's doing them at Rogers Center in front of like however many people were there last night, like a pretty good crowd. And he's tearing around the bases, his batting helmet's flying off and it's got the hair flowing. Like just even if these numbers and these like records weren't falling, still just a really fun player to watch. So fun to watch. Yeah, I think that of all the moments that I appreciated during his home debut against the Yankees, probably the swing and miss that preceded that massive homer off the facing of the third deck would rank pretty high up there. Bobachette stands in the batter's box, the pitch, swing and a miss, and he took a vicious, vicious hack. Came up empty on the curveball for strike one. Because just goes to show, like, he is not here to mess around. He is here to swing really hard. And if he misses, he misses. And if he connects, it's going to go off the third deck. So, I mean, that's an encouraging sign for those of us who like to watch entertaining baseball. And so far, it's also been producing results. So that's a nice combination for the Jays. Yeah, I feel like that's like my ethos as like an analyst of baseball. It's like, just entertain me, right? <laughs> just make it fun. Like, you know, I don't care about any of this other stuff. Like, just give us something fun to watch because baseball so often like moves in the area of not 
fun. So like if somebody um, in baseball gets really upset about the way Bo Bichette's playing right now and decides to throw at him, I would say that's not fun. Yeah. But that's almost something that like we maybe should expect to happen at some point. It wouldn't be surprising. Right. Like it was funny, even the other night after Bichette hit that home run in his first game at Rogers Center, the topic came up of you know, what were you thinking between those two swings? The yeah. one where he swung and missed and the one where he connected on the homer. And he made the point that he's well aware of the kind of resistance to rookies swinging hard. And he's like, I know that other teams don't like when rookies take big swings. And a lot of times when a rookie does that, they'll, you know, they kind of want to prove something. So I knew that I might get a pitch to hit um, the next pitch. So I just tried to refocus, you know, as quick as I could and, and, try and be on time like what like how else are you going to hit home runs if you don't yeah. swing hard like it actually makes so little sense that you wouldn't be able to swing hard when the object of the game is to hit the ball far ideally over the wall you're not going to be able to do that if you're not swinging hard so it just doesn't make sense but he's right like yeah. it's not like he's coming up with something that doesn't exist this is yeah. an actual thing oh absolutely like well didn't bryce harper get hit in his first ever played appearance cole hamill splunked him right yep welcome to the league like what is that? Yeah, right? Crazy. Because he played hard in the minors, right? Yeah. And because he was, you know, he had the eye black on his face and cuz he played with flair and he bat flipped and he pimped home runs. Good. Yeah. Right? Like the things that baseball players get like aggrieved by, like the celebrations or whatever, or, like some of the outward like show of emotion that like bothers crusty old baseball players is like so mild and boring if it occurred in the NBA. Right. Or if it occurred in the NFL. Oh, yeah. You know, or if it occurred in an actual fun sport. It's like, it's not on highlights. It's just another guy doing another thing. Right. And I mean, with Bichette in particular, that home run that he hit at Rogers Center, he did like a little bat drop where he kind of releases the bat very gently to the ground. Bat flips played out. It's about the (laughs) bat drop now. But even that, like that's notable in baseball that you're doing a bat drop. You're not just tossing it to the ground. That goes to show like how low the bar is for potentially irritating your opponent. But it's um, it's fun. I mean, it's just to see Bichette doing this in his first week in the majors tells you that there's more in there. Like if he's, you know, an actual all star or he's becoming a four or five win player like we think he potentially could be or he's on that pace already. (laughs) He's a one win player after (laughs) less than a dozen games. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like he, seriously, he has is he actually point nine wins wow. above replacement after eleven games? Yeah, so he's on like a five he's, win pace this year. <laughs> but you know, even even if he finishes this year with two or three WAR, that's an incredible rookie season. Not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but this is a player clearly who has a lot of personality and is not going to be afraid to show it. Two things about that: one, like how else would you want a young player to play? Of course, you want him to play hard right like coaches talk about like failing hard right like if you're going to fail if you're going to make a mistake do it aggressively right like do it like at top speed doing it trying to make a big play and that's what Boba doing like when you see those massive swings where he like falls over or when you see him like you know attack a ball and, and maybe bobble it or something like yeah you know like he is trying to be aggressive and to make a big play that's what you want to see from young players the second part is this isn't going to continue like he is not going to be a five-win player over the next two months. The pace that he is on, the toward pace, that he's on, it's been fantastic. I'm not trying to take anything away from it. It's been amazing to watch. It's been exhilarating to watch. It's going to turn. Uh, his batting average on balls in play is close to 500. You know, like half the balls he's put in play have gone for hits. Even if he keeps, you know, shooting lasers all over the field, at some point he's going to hit it right at the shortstop. Or, you know, as teams get a better idea of his tendencies or as they get a better idea of how to pitch him, he's going to start hitting them into, you know, where defenders are positioned. Clubs are going to, you know, start looking at his video and start looking at his swing and try to find holes and they're going to find ways to exploit them. They haven't figured it out yet, um, but just at the rate that he is swinging, and that the rate that he's also swinging at pitches that are outside the strike zone, this thing is clearly going to turn. And I even think he's aware of that. Of course. Like yeah. talking to him yesterday before the game, like he was, you know, because he was, we were talking about some of his defensive misplays. And he was like, yeah, you know, I went through a bit of a tough stretch in the field every few games. I'm sure it's going to happen offensively as well. So he's aware, like this thing is going to turn. And I take no joy in saying that, like, there's probably like an 0 for 12 skid coming at some point. Uh, baseball is a funny way of evening things out. Uh, I think you just enjoy this hot streak while it lasts. Yeah, without a doubt, there will be a cold streak to kind of counterbalance that. And I think his defense will improve. We've seen him look just, I don't know, rusty is not the right word or shaky is not the right word, but he's just kind of looked 
like it's bounced off his glove. It's the speed of the game seems to have maybe surprised him a little bit. It's a different clock in the majors, yeah, right? And I think that's part of it. We saw that with Vlad's throws at times, yeah. where Vladdy was just taking it too easy and not releasing the ball to first base fast enough. And I think with Bo, we've seen it more that the ball is kind of reaching him at shortstop more quickly than he seems to be expecting it. You think about, you know, 300 minor league games that he's played or whatever, 350, like, so he got used to one speed and one clock, right? And bats coming off the balls at a certain pace and, you know, winners getting up the line at a certain pace. Well, now you're in the majors where much more consistently bats come off balls with a higher exit velocity and runners on average get up the line a lot faster than they do in the minors. So it's a different clock. Like it changes, you have less time. And then as the balls hit to you, you start thinking, oh, I have less time. And then you speed up and then you start thinking about the throw before the ball's in your glove and clank, right? So I think that's why you have seen some of those errors. It's an adjustment period, right? Like, you know, you're going to hear Mark Shapiro say a lot, and we'll get to his comments later, that, you know, Adrian Beltre in his first year transitioning to the big leagues led the, you know, led the league in errors. Like, we've seen a lot of guys go through this. Um, I think Bo Bichette has all the tools needed to be a good shortstop at the major league level. I just think that over the next couple of months, you're going to continue to see this adjustment process play out as he gets acclimated. It's amazing how quickly Bichette has showed us that those tools exist because it's only taken, what, 10 games, something like that, for him to show, yep, he's got the power, that'll play. He's got the bat-to-ball skills. He's not striking out a ton. I mean, yeah, he's got the high Babbitt, but it's not like he's swinging and missing through you know a crazy amount of pitches, especially being a rookie and making offensive adjustments too that seem to have been pretty seamless so far. So you've got that skill set. You've got clearly the arm, clearly the mobility at shortstop. And that's pretty much what you're looking for when you're thinking about a developing shortstop, someone who's still just 21 years old, going to make mistakes. But you can see why people in the industry are so excited about what Boba Shack can do. This is At The Letters, brought to you by the all-new 2019 Ford Ranger. You already know, but I had to say it. That's Ben Nixon-Smith. I'm Arden Zwelling. Uh, struck me watching the first game of that Yankees series. Like, there are moments now where, like, during a game, like, if I'm working away or whatever, like, whatever I'm doing, like... When Boba Shek comes up, like I'm stopping what I'm doing, right? And I'm watching. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. comes up, I'm stopping what I'm doing. I'm wa- Lourdes Guerrero Jr. I'm watching, right? Like this lineup is just a lot more fun to watch right now. Just as a, and I don't care if the team wins or loses. Like I just want to see interesting baseball, and I'm interested now. Uh, whereas you know, perhaps in May it was a bit different, <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, I think that as a fan, it must be cool to watch some of these kids play and to watch them take off. I would imagine that like, if you're tuning in to watch this team every night, like you are enjoying what you're seeing from at least the top half of this batting order. Yeah. At least every second half inning, you know, and we'll get to the pitching later, (laughs) but whenever the blue Jays are up, you're never far away from a pretty intriguing batter. Even if it's Teoscar Hernandez, who's been hitting well in the last month or Brandon Drury, who's surprisingly uh, hitting quietly. well in the last month. Uh, yeah, qu- um, I would say quietly. Quietly. Well, yeah, like under the radar, having himself a very nice 30 days. Perhaps unsustainably, who knows, but he's <laughs> uh, he's hitting well. So the, you do have some depth to this batting order that you didn't see before. So that does translate. It does make the team more watchable. And I don't know about you, but man, I was watching, again, going back to that first game against the Yankees in Rogers Center. It's the first game after the deadline, first game since Stroman was traded and Sanchez was traded and since Bichette was up. Yeah. Man, it actually felt different in there. And maybe it's because there was a backpack giveaway, which always brings people in, but the crowd was big. Yeah. It was over 30,000 people. And you look around the stadium and it just felt more full than empty, which yeah. has been a rarity this year. But when it comes to the... Um, the environment of Rogers Center, it yeah. did feel different. Like we haven't seen that or felt that a lot. And we used to experience that every single night, which wasn't that long ago, only 2016, <laughs> that that was the case every single night. Yeah. And now it's a rarity. It wasn't that long ago, but it kind of was. Kind of was. Right? Like, because yeah. now, like, this will, once this season's done, this will be the third losing season, yeah. like, after it. So it kind of has been a while. But yeah, I, you know, I do think that like as a fan and like we'll get to like Shapiro stuff and all that stuff later. But like as a fan, like I know there's a lot of discontent right now. There's a lot of people who are pretty upset 
right now and don't like that some of their favorite players have been trading. I get it, right? Like if you in 15 and 16 like filled your closet with jerseys and jerseys that said Sanchez and Strowman, Donald Colabello. Oh my God. Hawkins. Uh, yeah, Hawkins. <laughs> um, so if you filled your closet with those, you love those players. Like I understand, like it's upsetting to see them go. You have an emotional attachment to them. You watch them have great moments you watched ryan goins have great you watch chris colabello come up with big hits right so well just wait until devin travis is non-tendered this offseason yeah. like finally the end of the 2015-16 like residue outrage right of people who are still attached to these guys his non-tender this offseason will be the end of it yeah. pompey's off the roster who's left smoke right? that's it yeah smoke Tapera. Yeah, to Paris. So, but I, I feel like Devin Travis, people have a really yeah. like tight, it's like very, it's Pompeii-ish, right? Yeah. Like the guy hasn't really, and no, I love Devin Travis, of but course. like hasn't played in a while, hasn't been good in a while. Yeah, they have to cut him. But fans have a very like strong attachment to him because they remember when he came up and he was Bo ish right? He, not to this level, but when he first came up, he hit really, really well. He always hit for those first couple of years. Yeah. Like he had like a, pretty solid 300 average 780 ops like that was pretty good and it was like hey man this is your second baseman of the future yeah. and he's gonna lock down that position and we all know what happened this is a, a weird sidebar tangent but my point is like as a fan like you got two choices right like you can stay mad and you can like be upset and bitter and like have this team bring you resentment or you can get in on the ground floor of this core of young players and you can watch them take their first steps in the big leagues. You can watch Bo Bichette's first dozen games and see how cool it is. You can watch Vladimir Guerrero Jr. go through like the parabola he's gone through, right? Where it's like he was, you know, he came up and there's all the hype and then you're like, oh, things didn't go so well and they got really, really, really good, right? And now it's kind of leveling off a little bit again, but you can watch Kevin Biggio grow as a ball player. You can watch Danny Jansen learn behind the plate, put up some framing numbers, which if you look at like fan graphs and the places that keep track of them are actually rather impressive. Really good. <laughs> yeah. You can watch, you know, uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. break out. Like, you can get in on the ground floor of this thing. And look, I don't know if the Blue Jays are going to win in two years or three years. Like none of us know if they're going to go to the postseason or, you know, win a championship. But if they do, these are the players who are going to help them get there. And this is going to be the core of that team. You can say, hey, I remember when Bo Bichette debuted, man. Like, I remember watching, you know, Kevin Biggio hit that, you know, screaming home run into right at the, at the trop, right? Like, you can get in on the ground floor of this and watch it. Or you can just uh, fill your life with negativity <laughs> and bitterness and resentment. And to to the credit of our listeners, I think we know which option they've chosen. That's the thing. Because right? they're listening yeah. to us in 100 lost seasons. Well, so thanks for sticking with us. <laughs> if you're listening to this, like, yeah. you're a re- like you're a Blue Jays fan, right? Yeah. Like a, a lot of like the people who are like pissing and moaning right now, they're not really baseball fans. No. They're not really Blue it's Jays fans. It's just the sport that's on after the Raptors won and the Leafs are in the, in the summer golf mode. Exactly. So. Right? They're fans of winning. Yeah. They just want to be a part of something. Which right? is fine. And you mentioned the Raptors, right? Like, look at that parade, right? Like, there's like 2 million people there. Yeah. How many of those people were like, you know, living and breathing with the Raptors in January even? Right. How many of them know who Rafael Rujo is, right? Like, right. you know, how many of them like were really like ride or die of this franchise? They just caught on to the wave, right? You want to be a part of something. I get it. But like, so a lot of that resentment, I think, is coming from people who are just fans of winning and they just want the team to win. And the team's not winning right now. But I think that like really like diehard Blue Jays fans, like the non-casual Blue Jays fans are really invested in this this core. Yeah. And I do think that there are more people jumping on the bandwagon right now. And maybe to call it a bandwagon overstates it, but people are... It's a bandwagon to 100 losses. <laughs> yeah, right. So that is the wrong word, but people are... Jumping on the Titanic. <laughs> they're getting more intrigued, I think, by this team. Yeah. Um, and I don't have any science to back that up, but I get the sense that there is more interest, more genuine interest in this team, as there should be. So there's there's nothing else going on, man. Yeah, and it's a much more interesting team, too. Yeah. Like, compare the, the relative status of the Jays and... Leafs or Raptors, right? In May, when the Jays are starting Ryan Fearabend and they have the since-released Alan Hansen playing every day, and the Raptors and Leafs are in the playoff hunt. To now, okay, those teams are done, and the Jays are actually kind of fun to watch. Yeah, I'm not saying they're great, because they're obviously not. They're still going to lose more than they win, but they're kind of fun to watch. Compare them, like, in baseball terms to where the Detroit Tigers are right, right now, or, like, the Kansas City Royals, right? Oh, like my you, goodness. You see the Blue Jays go in, you know, against these, like, fellow 100-lost clubs and, like, beat the hell out of them, and you see where those teams are, and you see where their farm systems 
all right? And you see how much further, like the Baltimore Orioles, like how much further away they are from contention. Like the Blue Jays don't have like Chris Davis making $800 million and getting in fights with the manager. How about the that? Right? Man. And hitting like a buck 80. Like oh, the Blue yeah. Jays don't have that. Like the Blue Jays are, if not the one of the youngest teams in baseball and have some of the like two legitimate like this year top 10 MLB prospects playing for them every single day and the cool thing is now Vlad and Bo are producing like all-stars yeah. whether that sustains itself who knows I mean they could both slump and end the season in you know kind of mediocre fashion I don't expect that I think they're both really good but um, they are right now playing at an all-star level This is that letters brought to you by the all-new 2019 Ford Ranger. And let me tell you, Ben, that Ford Ranger comes with an available terrain management system, which automatically calibrates engine responsiveness, transmission gearing, and vehicle control systems to provide the optimum traction, drivability, and performance. Wow. Wow. So the Blue Jays can hit. We know that. We have seen over the last 30 to 45 days, you were mentioning Teoscar Hernandez has come around, Randall Gritchuk hitting some bombs. Obviously, the kids are playing, the kids are playing well. But run production, only half the equation. Run prevention, the other half. And that is where the Blue Jays are lacking uh, throughout the organization right now. I think the Blue Jays management would disagree with that and say, oh, we have a lot of young pitchers that we're really excited about. Uh, you know, I think a lot of us are saying, all right, we'll wait and see, right? Like, let's see what these kids become but you hear about the waves of pitching talent and the blue jays have now kind of started identifying the players that are going to be in each of those waves is there anybody in the current wave so baraki reed foley Waggis back thornton the pitchers who are here now who you think will be parts of the next competitive blue jays team like have they found a diamond in that rough i don't know if you'd say thornton is a diamond but um <laughs> Thornton is someone that you'd want on your staff, yeah. I think. Uh, he looks like someone who could capably be back-end starter, and you never know. Maybe there's room to improve beyond that. Reed Foley looks like a reliever to me, based mm -hmm. on what we've seen so far. Barucki looks like another potential back-end guy. His health status notwithstanding, we're not exactly certain how that's going to play out in the next couple of weeks, but those guys look like pieces to me. Panone potentially... You know, reliever, long man. I haven't necessarily seen enough to see him as a starter. And Wagaspak looks interesting as well. So what, what about you? Do you kind of view that group similarly? Is there a different uh, perspective on your end? Intrigued by Wagaspak. Yeah. I wonder if there's something there, man. Yeah. Like he's got like a, a good body for starting. Like he throws a bunch of different pitches. Got good control. He's got good mound presence. You really see him growing yeah. start to start um, and learning. Can you imagine if they, if for Aaron Loop, they end up with like an innings eating back end starter? Um, <laughs> but I uh, like, so he is like intriguing to me. And like, yeah, Barucky if healthy, but I mean, the health thing is going to be a question until it's not with him really. But like, Barucky if healthy is a guy who, like, yeah, could be a solid back end starter. Reed Foley, reliever. Thornton, I could see Swingman. I could see him working as a reliever. Um, you know, I wonder how he would look in one inning bursts. I think you keep him as a starter for now, obviously, but yeah. the inconsistency has been apparent with him. And there have been times where he's taken the mound and he's looked great and he's carved up really good offenses. And there's been times where he's taken the mound and he's just hasn't been that competitive. And he's been tipping his pitches or he's been leaving way too many pitches over the heart of the plate. It's just a lot going on with his delivery, man. And it, like he's trying to do something very difficult. And I praise him for that. But trying to maintain that delivery and all that movement and everything that he does pre-pitch to get the ball to the plate over 80 or 90 pitches, it's tough, right? Thomas Pannone, again, another kind of swingman type. Like Of those five, though, I don't see a front-of-the-rotation guy. No. I think that if you get one good back-of-the-rotation starter out of there, whether it's Wagusback or a healthy Barucki, I mean, that's probably the ceiling of that group. Wow. I mean, I think you'd hope to get two back-end yeah. starters out. You know, maybe Barucki and Thornton can do that, or Barucki right. and Wagaspak. One thing with Wagaspak, you look at his some of his advanced numbers, fastball spin rate, curve spin rate, expected uh, weighted on base. These are not favorable. Like, he's in the bottom 
20% of, uh, of pitchers in those departments. So the Astros aren't going to be trading for him? <laughs> no, don't <laughs> expect that to happen. But yeah, it's still early. And hey, to his credit, he's going out there, he's getting results. And I think it's already a win, uh, that trade, to get him yeah, from no, it is. It's already a success. It is already a win. Yeah. But then you have these other groups lower in the minor leagues. And I think you know when Atkins and Shapiro talk about trying to find three or four really good starters from this group, they're hoping that some of them emerge from those lower levels. Yeah, I think the next wave is really promising. Yeah. Like Nate Pearson, like obviously, right? Like Patrick Murphy, you keep hearing people talk about him as a potential front of rotation arm. And obviously yeah. he's had to go through a bit of an adjustment with his delivery um, because it was illegal. <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, if he's able to, you know, get that down and get past the, the little health thing that he's going through right now, like that's somebody that, you know, people feel really high about. Julian Merriweather is just such a question mark. Yeah. Um, you know, he hasn't had the smoothest recovery from. Tommy John surgery, but when he has been pitching, he's been throwing 100 miles an hour. You'll work with that. Uh, that works. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what's is Anthony K going to be something, right? Like, you know, there's just some. It's more, and maybe it's just because we've now seen like Reed Foley and Thornton wags back at the major league level, so we've kind of seen how they do against that level of competition. So the other guys are still kind of dreaming on, but I would say I am more intrigued by the, kind of the next wave of pitching talent that's coming up. And Pearson is someone who can sway the Blue Jays' fortunes probably as much as anyone. Yeah. You know, to the extent that one player can do that, just because he could actually be an ace. Like, he actually could be, let's say, their Garrett Cole. And you don't see a lot of guys in this system with that potential that's evident. And I think you could make a, you know, convincing counter-argument or counterpoint to that by saying that some of the best starting pitchers in Major League Baseball right now were not regarded as top prospects, whether it's Charlie Morton or Matthew Boyd or even Corey Kluber. These are guys who weren't all that heralded coming up, and yet they've had huge impacts at the major league level. I feel like the rarest commodity in the game is the like Scherzer, Kershaw, like Granke, like ace of aces right like that's such an exclusive club and i feel like if you could like if you took you know a poll of mlb executives and it was like okay you can add one thing to your team it would be okay i want that ace 200 innings 2 era 10k per nine like i want that guy right like every time out every five days he's gonna give you a really good chance to win because like we're in this area of baseball now where like offense is like through the roof right like every night like there's you know nine ten runs being given up and somebody's allowing these runs, right? You're going to set a home run record this year by like 600 bombs. Somebody's giving those up. Yeah. Like it's going on somebody's record. And with, you know, the way bullpens are managed now, you've got this like league of five and dive guys, right? Like, you, you know, I just feel like the standard of pitching is kind of, I should look more into this like more about like how the league averages in terms of ERA and like Caper 9 stuff have like changed. Like I bet you Caper 9's gone up. ERA for sure has gone up as well though, right? So it's like they're striking out more guys but also allowing more runs yeah. somehow. So I feel like to find that, you know, Pearson type, right? What Pearson could be that's so so rare and it makes it such an interesting kind of case study for the Blue Jays because they have to be like really purposeful in how they bring him along and how they develop him and how many innings he throws and how they monitor his fatigue and his workload and like all these things, right? Like, and you know, how many innings he jumps up from year to year last year, you know, through such a like hitch in things, right? Like such a stick in the spokes with, you know, the arm injury, which wasn't like, you know, ligaments wasn't labrum, but it held him out for almost the entire season with a broken bone. So how do you progress him having, you know, him having missed that? Like, is he here already right now? If that hadn't happened, I wonder. Yeah, it's possible. So it's going to be so interesting to watch how they bring him along because he could develop into one of the rarest assets in baseball. Absolutely. Yeah. And that potential is so intriguing. And I think at the same time, the Blue Jays also have to prepare for the possibility that he doesn't reach that potential, which Mm -hmm. is kind of, you know, it's a little bit devastating to think along those lines, but you can't assume that he's going to be an ace. He might have Tommy John or some other injury, takes another ball off of his shin and he's out for another six months. So you need to have a plan B in place. And I think that's where all these arms come in. The Blue Jays are hoping that enough of them can emerge and become solid major league pieces that they will be okay, at least, even if Pearson doesn't become that. And then you have to supplement in free agency. And I don't think we're going to see them be super aggressive on that front this offseason. We could see it 
you know, within a couple of years where they start to be bigger players in free agency once they know exactly what they have here. But yeah, Pearson, as intriguing as he is, can't be the only path to a contending Blue Jays team. No. And, you know, maybe Eric Pardino becomes the next Marcus Stroman. Yeah. Maybe Zach Logue or Joey Murray becomes something, right? Like maybe Jensi Diaz is this like ground ball machine all of a sudden. Didn't have his greatest debut, but the fact that the club even trusted him to come up and sure. like make his MLB debut this year says something about where they think he is coming straight from double A. Like they thought he was capable and they thought he was ready for that. They wanted to challenge him with that. Maybe those things happen. Most likely, you're going to have to supplement externally. Most likely, you're going to have to go free agency or trade, right? You're going to have to make your Chris Sale deal, right? And you're going to have to package a couple prospects you like to get a front of the line starter, or you're going to have to, like, you know, give a guy probably more money in term than you're comfortable with in free agency to get a starting pitcher to come here. Kind of interesting to hear Mark Shapiro talk yesterday about how that process could even begin this offseason in terms of adding starting pitching. And I don't think that means Garrett Cole or Dallas Keuchel, but do you think that could mean like Rick Porcello or Kyle Gibson? Like, do you think that even like that middle tier of free agent starter is something the Blue Jays might look at this offseason as they try to kind of build up this rotation? They'll definitely look at it. I mean, they have to. And I think uh, Zach Wheeler would fit in that group as well. Maybe between Keuchel and, and Cole, uh, Wheeler's been pretty good this year. But I think that if you're the Jays, you absolutely have to consider these guys and talk to them and see if there's middle ground for a deal because they just don't have enough pitching right now. I'm looking at their projected rotation on MLB depth charts. They have Wilmer Font listed as one of their starters. Throw and, 97. Yeah, it's looking good. Well, but, what do you want? <laughs> well, maybe like an actual maybe, starting starting maybe, pitcher. Maybe a third inning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would be that would be nice. So I think that there's absolutely room to add. The Blue Jays have a lot of payroll opening up. They have a need on the pitching side. They will add starting pitching. They will add relievers this offseason. I would think there's an easy case for shopping a little higher than the yeah. bargain basement types. We'll see if they do it. I just wonder if they will. I don't think the Blue Jays are going to win next year. I think the Blue Jays, like the most, most optimistically think like, oh, maybe we surprise some teams and we're in the wild card race, sure. right? But like the Blue Jays aren't going to be ready to like win the American League East next year. Definitely if they don't add pitching, they won't be. Right. Just where things stand today, maybe you could be a 500 team next year, sure. right? And you could take a nice step in the right direction and you're, you're not a 100 loss team, you're not an embarrassment, you're better. And then you build off into 2021 where you're like, all right, we're going for it, right? But next year, like, are you really going to go out and sign Zach Wheeler to a four-year deal this offseason and try to project forward to what he's going to be in 2021 or 2022? Because that's such a tough game to play with starting pitchers, right? Injuries happen. Like, the Yankees didn't think Jay Happ wasn't going to be good. They thought he was going to be good, and they'd sign him as a free agent, and it hasn't worked out that well for them, right? right? So, like, it's a risk, man, with, like the limited resources that you have to play with. I think the most likely scenario we see is a couple more like, you know, bets on like, you know, bounce back guys like Matt Shoemaker ask, you know, or like, Hey, Clayton Richard is available. Like, like, let's bring him in. He'll eat some innings for us. I know it's uninspiring. Like, what about this front office or what, have, what has told you that they're going to go out and like grab even a Rick Porcello? No, you're right. I mean, you look at their track record. It's been one of very conservative spending. Yeah. So, until we see a departure from that, it's hard to predict a departure from that. But man, you've got to do better than Clayton Richard. You really do. And to answer your question, yeah, I'd have no problem going after a Zach Wheeler type. And just as there's the downside, I wouldn't either. I just don't think they will. I'm not predicting Wheeler. Go know, ahead, sorry. Jason. The downside of Wheeler with um, injury and sure, or how like, is he going to perform in 2021? Or even looking back at last year, Jay Happ, right? Yeah. Who you mentioned as someone who's disappointed as a starting pitcher. Well. On the other hand, you have a guy like Lance Lynn, who mm -hmm. has pitched so well. One of the best starters in One baseball. One of the best starters in baseball. Another guy who wasn't a top, top prospect. Mm -hmm. And Lance Lynn was available for like 30 million bucks to the Rangers. Yeah. So there are values to be found out there. And I would expect the Jays to try to replicate the Lance Lynn deal as opposed to trying to replicate the you know Patrick Corbin deal. Miles Mikolas is another example. Sure. Right? Yeah, with really the Cardinals, nice, nice picking him up. But they need to do something like that. It can't just be bottom feeding. Can't just be clay buckles. No. 
The guys who brought you Superbad and Sausage Party are taking the R-rated comedy somewhere it's never been before. Sixth grade. Picture. Tonight is our first middle school party. There's gonna be girls there. You know what that means? Drama. Ooh, kissing. Critics are calling good boys adorably inappropriate. We cannot go to that party without knowing how to kiss. We could spy on my neighbor. She's a total nymphomaniac. She starts fires. No, nymphomaniac. Someone who has sex on land and sea. Good boys in theaters August 16th. Let's uh, conclude with the Mark Shapiro avail. We sat in a boardroom with him, with the other uh, writers and broadcasters of this team for uh, more than an hour uh, on Thursday. Um, You had the piece at sportsnet.ca just kind of rounding up some of the takeaways. Where would you like to begin? Like you choose the topic that stands out to you. Well, we already talked about the pitching side of things and where the Blue Jays might go. So I think that was probably the biggest takeaway from me was just the way the Blue Jays are going to approach free agency. He talked also about high performance, which was interesting to me. And I thought just it was maybe a throwaway comment, but it was interesting to me that Shapiro said if he was going to do it again, he would not call high performance high performance, which I I just found that interesting. I know you've written a lot about high performance. Clearly, the actual function of what high performance does is so useful. Triggered. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry to to go here. No, finish your thought. So it's so useful, right? You're helping players eat better, sleep better, feel better, deal with the mental side and stress of the game. And you're doing this in a more comprehensive way than they did before. And it was a new thing for baseball. And so they called it high performance, which is a European name. So it's different. It's not baseball. It's the equivalent of a rookie swinging hard at a pitch here. It's disrupting the culture. Um, and players didn't like it. People within the Blue Jays organization and outside of the organization yeah. didn't like it. Not everyone, but there was criticism for yeah. sure. And part of that, in Shapiro's opinion, was the name. So I just thought that was interesting for him to say, oh, yeah, we would have named it something else. Maybe like a you know division of sports science. Right? I forget what it was that he had suggested as an alternative as my mic was off at that point. But just basically calling it something else that would draw less attention to it. So what do you think about that? I like nothing enrages me more <laughs> than what? Than the pushback against like optimizing nutrition and sleep and recovery yeah. and understanding workload and like understanding how to get the most out of your players. Like the put of to bring it down to like, okay, so the problem is semantics. Like we would have called it sports science instead of high performance. Like there's no problem with this. Hmm. It's new for baseball. I get it. But this is not new for Olympic athletes, soccer and rugby athletes in Europe, NFL athletes, right? Like this is where sports is going. You can get on this train or not, but this is where it's like it's like it's like everything in baseball. It's like advanced statistics, right? It's like wins above replacement. You say, oh, what are you know? Back in my day, like we had RBIs, and that was enough. It tells me everything I need to know. And pitcher wins, and what are these advanced numbers? And now, like if you don't you know, use OPS and war, like you're not even working in this game. Like, what are you doing? So it's the same thing. Like it's the game is changing. The world is changing. Like we are progressing and moving forward and we're trying to drag you people with us and you're making it really difficult. There is nothing wrong with the high performance department. I know I'm on an eye. Like I know I'm in the minority, right? You're definitely in the minority. I know I'm now even four years in you are. I understand I'm in the minority on this, but like check back with me with where the sport is in five to 10 years. A hundred percent. And I'm with you. Like high performance very simply just helps the players do their job better. Yeah. So obviously if we had a podcasting high performance, they would just give us coffees at the exact right times and make sure we were fully rested. We would take that. Let's talk to Rogers about that. (laughs) Yeah. So it's pretty simple, but I do think it's like, it does come down to the way that the Blue Jays tried to get people on board. And as you said, there was a feeling of dragging people on. And in hindsight, I think the Blue Jays probably could have done that better as far as easing that transition but there was always going to be a kind of disruptive aspect to it where people weren't going to like it it's baseball man it's like the the electronic strike zone right it's going to happen we're going to get it and people are still like oh we need the human element we want umpires with it and as soon as they bring in that electronic strike zone it's going to be like oh balls and strikes are called perfectly now (laughs) amazing i do kind of like umpires though it's everything with like baseball that like bothers me. It's like back in my day, we'd play 162 and we had RBIs mattered. Like 
Back in your day, players played with bags of cocaine in their pockets. Okay? Like, let's talk about what your day was. Slide into second base and then have a little pick-me-up. Have a little key bump and get on your way. Like, back in your day, like, you know, doctors smoked cigarettes, right? Like, back in your day, things were a bit different than they are today. It's 2019. We're trying to move forward. It bothers me to no end. Like something that is very common in other sports, right? In other industries, there is just like this sect of like old, bitter baseball people who just like won't allow it to move forward. If someone like Mark Shapiro can buy into this, Mark Shapiro, who like however you feel about him, has worked in this game for like three decades, right? Like talks about when he used to make trades with like, it's the same thing with making trades, right? They used to flip through media Media guides, guides, right? They'd have like a, a scout, who saw like a prospect play three times. This guy, this guy, this is the guy subjectively. I saw him with my eyes and I know that he's going to be great. Well, you have no way of like objectively measuring that. Right. And that's how they used to make trades. Now you understand spin rates. You were just bringing them up. You understand bat speed. You understand, you know, swing planes and all these things. So you can better evaluate players. It's the same thing with optimizing recovery and making sure your players get better sleep. Like the day of playing 162. It's out. It's over. It's done. It's over. Because you don't like you don't win a championship in May. You don't win a World Series in July. You win it in October. So you need your players to be like as fresh and as fit and as productive uh, as possible come October. And you need to figure out a way to play them enough over the six month season to qualify for October baseball, but also to manage their workload enough so that they can be at their best come the playoffs. Oh yeah. The next Cal Ripken Jr. when he comes up will be, you know, resting day game after night game and playing one game of a doubleheader and he'll he'll end up with 145 games played every year. You got guys playing 162 games in like, what is it, 184 days? Yeah. Right? So like what? Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, like you guys have like and they're traveling across time zones, they're getting on planes, their sleep's being disrupted. They're playing like in Tampa in St. Petersburg last week, the, the Blue Jays played a 10-inning game and then 14 hours later started another game. Do you think players really had enough time to you know recover and rest after that? No, of course not. Zero chance. So like, you want to keep your players on the field and healthy and as productive as possible. Why wouldn't you optimize everything around their workload management? And like, this is Toronto where you just saw Kawhi Leonard, right? The word management. You just saw load management help the Raptors win a championship. You just saw it in action. This is like, there's no unturning this. This is the way it's going. Yeah. So if Vladdy rests here and there, it's fine. It's really, really, it's, it's fine. totally fine. Yeah. Even if Boba Shett rests in the middle of a hit streak or a hot streak, that's okay. They're 20, they're 21, but still you want to make sure these guys are healthy. You're playing the long game here. Yeah. You make a lot of good points there. No question. And I think you're right. There is like an old guard mentality. That's like RBI back in my day. But it's been a notable shift in the last, say, 15, 20 years. Those guys aren't the ones making the decisions anymore. They're more pushed to the edges. Uh, But the ones making the decisions, I think, by and large, are the ones like Mark Shapiro who are determined to be progressive. In the Blue Jays' case, we don't know if that's going to lead to winning or not. So far, it hasn't. But they have been progressive. And that's what you find, by and large, in front offices. Because if you don't, you're going to be dusted by the competition. And you're not going to win. And you're not going to keep your job. Quit resisting progress. People don't like change. I get it. But the world is changing. Times are changing. Just like we're going to look back like on this is a tangent, but like on now and we're going to be like, oh, we had these like little radiation devices that we held up to our brains like all the time. Right. And then put in our pockets right beside our reproductive organs. Like we, well, we people did that. Right. Just like, oh, everybody smoked in the 60s. Right. Like doctors were like, oh, is this something's wrong with you? You got to, you know, here's some nicotine. Anyway. It's a tangent. Uh, what else? What else stood out? What do you want to do? Dunedin? What do you want to do? Roger yeah, Center? After that, it all kind of falls uh, <laughs> falls flat. Where do you yeah, want to go? Mean, Dunedin, here, rapid fire. Dunedin delays in the renovations. Roger Center, nothing happening. Why is nothing happening with Roger Center? Well, it's a big undertaking. Yeah. I mean, put it this way. I think if Mark Shapiro was the sole stakeholder involved, there would be renovations happening now. But there is the city, potentially, the province, potentially... And, of course, Rogers Ownership, which is a big, big company with a lot of different interests. This is a big expense, one that ties into other ventures of Rogers and is not just a simple thing. So it's not just saying like, hey, do you guys want to change the price of popcorn at the concessions? Sure, let's do that. That's totally Blue Jays contained. It doesn't affect other aspects of the business. But 
Rogers Center is such a big building, it ties in potentially to other projects, and it's way more expensive. So my sense is that it's just tied to other variables that make the decision-making more complex and a little more slow than I anticipated. I feel like the shift that we've seen with the Rogers Center renovations is has gone from like a Mark Shapiro project to a Rogers project. Right. Right? Like, whereas it was, you know, Mark Shapiro was saying, all right, we want to open this up and we want to maybe change the field to turn this way and we want to have this concourse here and these are all the things we want to have. This, that, and the other different fan experiences. Now it's, if you ask them about it, it's like, oh, ask Rogers. <laughs> right? It's in Rogers' hands. So, does that mean that Rogers has other priorities right now? That they're like 5G or like expanding the cell phone network and all, all these things that I don't even understand? Right. Sure. Um, does that mean that there is a greater project that involves the city and the province that involves, you know, land around the Rogers Center and potential parks, whether it's the rail deck park or redevelopments and things like that? Like, are there other things tied up in this? Maybe. Like, that's the shift that I've noticed has gone from a Mark Shapiro project to a project like above his head. It was last year that we were at a Pitch Talks event with Shapiro, and he was talking about how Rogers Center is dungeness in some places. It needs to be opened up. And he was talking like someone who sees change in the future. And now we're a year plus beyond that point, And we haven't seen change. We haven't heard of where that change might head. And Shapiro's not making those types of comments anymore. So it does seem as though some things have changed. Yeah. And I think the thing with Rogers Center is like, you would never sacrifice that location. No. You know, like where it is, like right downtown, like heart of the city on the subway line, like a ton of people live around there, a ton of businesses around. Like you don't, you know, you don't want to end up in a situation where the Toronto Blue Jays play at Downstreet Park. You know? I would think not. You want them to stay like where they are right now. So it's like, okay, so how do you manage either renovating this place or like knocking it down and building a new place while keeping that, like, okay, so you got to keep playing the games every year, right? They got to be played somewhere, and you got to, you know, it's like trying to change the roof, right? Like, this, you can't really work on it that much in winter, right? Because it's cold and there's ice and everything, and like the roof's got to open and close. And, you know, while they've been replacing this roof, it's got to still be operational. It's like with the netting, right? Like, they're going to have a really hard time extending that netting all the way to the foul pole. It might even be impossible. It's like just engineering wise because right. of the way this, thing is constructed so like there are all of these challenges so i think the solution the blue jays need to find is how do we get a modern ballpark that is appeals to a wide you know spectrum of fans that a lot of people can enjoy and people want to go to and that is a destination in that location and keeping it there because like some of the stuff they're doing right now like refreshing the 100 level and changing the roof and this stuff like it's going to make it better but really you need dramatic changes in order to bring that thing into 2020 yeah it's maintenance versus kind of a new vision for yeah. the place and yeah so far we have yet to hear what that new vision might be i will say on a smaller scale it was good to see that they're going to extend the netting Yes, um, that's a positive development. It's another one of those things like, oh, it's going to block my view. And oh, in my day, we had the shut up, <laughs> shut up. Yeah, they used to play without batting helmets, too. But right yeah, now they do that. Goalies in hockey, <laughs> they didn't wear masks, yeah. you know, like shut the hell up. Like yeah. it, we're going to get netting every like it's one of those things where say in a game tonight, like some little child got brained. Tomorrow, there would be netting in 30 ballparks. That's it's one of those things, right? Where everyone's just waiting for something terrible to happen before they take a preventative measure. But actually, the scary thing is that there have been those incidents and it hasn't happened. So that's where, you know, it's it no is, one's died. I'd have to check the facts on that. Has someone died from a yeah, I would have to check ball? the facts. Yeah. I don't know offhand. Uh, but there have been serious injuries that have happened. It even just seems like a liability issue. Like you've got people at your ballpark who are like on their phones and like they're drinking beer, right? Like they're intoxicated. Yeah. And like so many ball like we were just talking about like, oh, having different areas for people and different things for them to look at and do. Yeah. So much of the ballpark experience now is geared towards anything but the game. Sure. Right? Like give me something to do other than watching this <laughs> terrible, boring game. Like, yeah. you know, give me a bar right like you know give me like big video boards flashing big bright lights in my face right like everything in a ballpark is designed to distract you meanwhile you have projectiles like coming into the crowd at over 100 miles an hour to you know towards distracted intoxicated people like it even seems like a liability to me yeah no doubt so it, it is good to see that the jays are going to add that netting I will They're say they're going to add the netting and for a day people are going to say, oh, like my, you know, my view is obstructed <laughs> yeah. and it's changed. Two days later, nothing. Yeah. No one's going to say anything. 
Right. I mean, they've already extended it to some extent, and it has led to zero complaints that I've heard. Anyway, netting, sort of thing, is going to be in 30 ballparks, and nobody's going to talk about it. It's going to be the new normal. I think that, like, out of the Shapiro of Ale, like, it's something that he said in the past, but I think it is probably the most applicable thing to where this team is going, to what fans really care about, which is winning, which is, he has said again, as he has said many times in the past, there is going to be a point where we have to outpace revenue with our payroll, where we are going to have to, whether that is paying Vladimir Guerrero Jr. through arbitration when he gets really expensive, whether that's extending Bo Bichette, whether that's going into free agency, right? Like whether that's taking on another team's contract and trade, whether that's like, hey, there's a starting pitcher in free agency who could really help us, who's a win now piece, who's like a four to five win player, and we are going to have to go beyond our comfort zone uh, in terms of total spend and term for this player to bring him to Toronto because you're always going to pay a premium for a starting pitcher to come to Toronto in free agency. The Blue Jays are going to need to do that. And at some point, like this incremental game that they're playing, right? Like just kind of finding little ways to raise the floor. And yeah, we got a little value here. They turn Aaron Loop into Jacob Wagus back. And, you know, Aledemus Diaz became Trent Thornton. Like it's these little incremental games are great. But at some point, the Blue Jays are going to have to take a big risk. And they're going to have to take a big swing. And they're going to have to make a big, impactful move. And Mark Shapiro, again, is on record as saying, yeah, we're going to do that. When the time comes, we are going to do that. So if in two years, if he doesn't, that's when you can get you like sharpen up your pitchforks, right? And like light up your torches. But until that happens, like we just have him on record now saying, yeah, we're going to do it. And now we're entering the fifth off season of uh, Atkins and Shapiro as the leadership for this team. And it doesn't sound as though they're going to do that within the first five off seasons of their leadership. I think if it doesn't start to happen by the sixth off season, then you have to have some real questions. You know, I, I think this off season, you know, maybe it's more modest. Maybe it's more in that Lance Lynn territory we were talking about. But if you get to entering the 2021 season, I mean, at that point, don't you have to be kind of looking to push and looking to advance things? That's still the season that I'm looking at. And like, let's, you know, let's see how things play out. But I still think the 2021 is the year when right. the Blue Jays need to be like, we are a contender. Right. You know, like, I don't yeah, think if they're not contending by then. I mean, come yeah. on. <laughs> how long do you get? <laughs> no, exactly. Like, yeah. I do think that's, I mean, the, the thing that could like change would be like, oh, like, Nate Pearson's arm exploded and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, like uh, went off to Peru to do ayahuasca and like, you know, Bo Bichette like shattered every bone in his body. Like crazy stuff happens. But yeah, yeah it would, it would, it would yeah. take something like that. You know, yeah. 2021 has to be the year. That's the year that I'm looking at. I don't think 2020 is the year. 2020, like 500 team, great. Contending yeah. for a wild card. Wow, that yeah. happened fast. Yeah. I think 2021 is the year. Agreed. That's Ben Nicholson Smith. I'm Arden Zwelling. Want to thank our producer, Amal Delich. Want to thank Shoah Lee. Want to thank Stefan Pere for working the cameras. Want to thank all of you for listening. We'll talk to you next week on At the Letters.